Today I'd like to continue our series in the Gospel according to John with a message entitled, Truth is the Judge, Jesus is a Savior. Now, for some of you who are a little concerned about the indefinite pronoun, a Savior, that'll make sense as we get along. But it is a descriptor as to what I think is going on in this particular passage. I wanted to actually title this, Get Used to Disappointment. (laughs) So that's a little bit of what we're going to do so be prepared to be disappointed. You ready? I'm going to be reading from uh, David Bentley Hart's translation of the New Testament, which I found a refreshing twist on some of the traditional translations that many of us have used, and you'll see why in a second. He keeps some of the original Greek uh, words and just transliterates them into the English, so it's a lot of fun. We're in the uh, chapter, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 12. We'll start in verse 43. But Jesus spoke aloud and said, Whoever has faith in me has faith not in me, but in him who has sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who has sent me. I have come as a light into the cosmos, so that everyone who has faith in me might not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I came not that I might judge the cosmos, but that I might save the cosmos. Whoever rejects me and does not accept any, uh, does not accept my words, has one judge, one who judges him, the word that I uttered, that will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak from myself, but rather the Father who has sent me. He has commanded what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is life in the age. Thus, Whatever things I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. The subtitle of our series, if you noticed, I don't know how many people have referenced this, is entitled, The Radical Nature of Jesus' Love. Um, Every now and then, however, the, the idea of radical, the idea of revolutionary, I mean, these are really good, important terms, but in this particular passage, as well as other themes that we find throughout the gospel according to John, it probably should be entitled The Frustrating Nature of Jesus' Love. And the reason why is because revolutionaries do not conform to expectations. And what we constantly see throughout the life of Jesus, we see this theologically, spiritually, historically, is that there are expectations that are put upon Jesus And he's constantly disappointing them. He's constantly not meeting up to those expectations. And people get frustrated with that. And so that's why I'm saying um, get ready to be disappointed. For those of you who are looking uh, for simple explanations or or a fulfillment to or an explanation of or a satiation of your expectations about who Jesus is, what the church is all about, I, I hope to leave you frustrated and disappointed. Because what happens in this passage that we just read is a culmination of a lot of frustration and anxiety and tension that has been building up over Jesus. And and at one particular point, the people who are critical of Jesus are just, they've just had it. And they need Jesus to answer them in a specific way. Now, to understand some of the depths of what's going on here, one of the key themes throughout the gospel according to John is the theme of contrasts. Let's take a little bit of a quiz. If you were to see or understand the word light, what would be its contrast or its opposite or its its opposing feature? Light and the contrast is? Dark. 
Dard, very good. Life, and the contrast to that is death. Very nice. Truth, the contrast to truth is going to be lies or falsehood. Yes? Nobody sees it. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, I spelled falsehood on, in a crooked <laughs> That was spelled in perfectly. Um, this one's a little bit more complicated, but you'll see this theme specifically in the baptism of Jesus. There's a contrast and comparison to the Spirit. Does anybody remember what, this, what is being contrasted? I, I baptize you with blank, but Jesus is going to come and baptize you with the Spirit. So what's the contrast there? Water. Very, very nice. There's also an ancient philosophical contrast that is there. Flesh is on the one side, and the contrast to that is? Ah, this is a hard one. Right, veganism. Right, yes. Yeah, no, no, that's no, that's not. That is not in the Bible. Much. Okay, so the actual contrast is spirit there. So that's the, that's the contrast there. So it's really important to understand that what's going on in the dynamics when you see this light and dark, life and death, spirit and flesh, spirit and water, there's these contrasts, and these contrasts, are there to make a point. So when it comes to the contrast of judgment, which is found all throughout the gospel accounts, actually, the question is, what is the contrast to judgment? We, we understand life, and we understand death. We kind of understand flesh and then spirit. Okay, those are contrasts. But what is the contrast to judgment, which is what is going to be posed in this gospel account? And this is going to be odd to me, because when I thought about this, what is judgment according to how we normally conceive of it? Judgment is making some sort of assessment um, and a little bit of a looking down upon condescension, right? I mean, and so um, judgment can also mean in our common parlance and, and vocabulary to restrict some particular, oh, you're doing that, and, and to shame somebody for all those particular activities that they do. And so you would think that the contrast to judgment would be something like liberation or something like just allow somebody to be. But what's the contrast that Jesus actually poses here? It's not judgment versus liberation or judgment versus just let somebody be free. The contrast to judgment is salvation. And that's an interesting contrast there. I have not come into the world to judge the world. I've come to save it. Okay, so there's the contrast. And so by teasing out what could possibly be going on here in the terms judgment and salvation, we can start to get an understanding. Oh, wait a second. There's something pretty deep and profound that's going on here because we, can, we often think, especially in a modern kind of context, don't judge me, bruh, is my, the new term that I get. <laughs> don't judge me, which is don't look down upon me, don't condescend, just let me be me. Um, but the opposite of judgment or the contrast, and I'm careful, I, I, it's so funny, I meant to not say opposite because it's a contrast, because there is judgment in the text, but the contrast to that is salvation. So what's, what's really going on here? This is a theme that actually is found all throughout the entire gospel accounts, and so much so that I think it's one of the most central characteristics of this particular gospel, and therefore possibly central to Jesus' teaching. And he kind of sums up the entirety of his you know, agenda and aim. I have not come into this world to condemn or to judge it, but to save it. Uh, it's very familiar to us, for those of us who've grown up in the church, who have been to any football games, who have seen this guy wearing his t-shirt, you know, John 3.16, we know this passage, or many of us know this, it's been familiar. 
God so loved the cosmos. Again, this comes from uh, David Bentley Hart's translation. For God so loved the cosmos as to give the only Son, the only one, so that everyone having faith in him shall not perish, but have the life of the age, or eternal life. Is how many translations translate it. But we don't often read whatever the next verse is, which I kind of want to put dash 17 on his t-shirt. Because verse 17 There it is. There's the contrast. There's the central theme of why Jesus came. God sent the Son into the cosmos, not that he might pass judgment on the cosmos, but that the cosmos might be saved through him. This is going to show up multiple times in the gospel accounts. So go geeky-greeky with me for just a few moments, and we're going to kind of tease out some of the themes that are found behind the word judge, judgment, condemnation, And then we're going to try to pull that string all the way through to see what is really going on and how we're going to take care of following Jesus in this particular manner. And then we're going to end on an evaluation of the Anthropocene. Does that sound like a good idea? The idea that the entire world is coming to an end. Okay, so that's where we're headed. There are four main words in the gospel accounts that are translated judge. Crisis, crema, crino, crites. Now, if you hear, they're all very related sounds. And what's fascinating when you look this up, and I spent way too much time with my Greek lexicon, it is not easy to tease apart very specific, uh, specified definitions for each of these. They're a little bit intertwined and intermingled. So as we go through these definitions, just know that they're not exact and they're not entirely precise. Generally speaking, the word krisis is used to denote a decision the actual judgment that was made. So when a judge hands something down, that is the crisis. Generally speaking, the word crema is the process by which we make an evaluation, to make a decision. So we're taking into consideration all the various factors, and we're trying to figure out and evaluate and make a decision. This is actually the Greek word behind where we get our word to discriminate or the word criminal. It comes from the Greek word krima, which is used throughout the gospel accounts. The word krino is much more harsh. Generally speaking, it means to condemn. This is the familiar judge that many of us know. Don't judge me, bruh. It is to condemn, to look down, to condescend, to separate. This is actually, it's interesting, the etymologies, this is where we get our word to discern. And then the last word, krites, is generally used for the person who is doing the judgment. Some translations will even consider the word umpire to think about that. So uh, this is where we get our word critical and critique and criteria. These are all words that encompass a vast definition of what it means to judge, to make assessments, to evaluate, to be somebody, to hand down a certain decision. This word krites, many of you know and you didn't even know it because you might know the word hupokrites, which is translated into our English hypocrite. And a hupokrites is somebody who is under the judge or somebody who is disqualified for making any judgments, if that makes sense. Hupo being under, krites being the judge. And so the reason why I have the masks there is because in ancient Greek um, theater, a hypocrite, a hypocrites, is somebody who puts on a mask to come out and act as somebody, goes back behind stage, puts on a different mask to come out and act like somebody else. The etymology behind that is 
You don't have, you're not in any place to make any judgments of anybody because clearly you don't have any consistent ethic or consistent principles. You're just constantly changing. So hypocrites. Okay, that very brief survey gives us a general idea of what it means to judge. And these words are used, if you go through your um, New Testament in English, you'll find these words judgment, uh, condemn, evaluation. You'll find this all interwoven. And again, just to repeat, it was really hard to tease out specific definitions for each word. They're all kind of intermingled and interwoven into one another. And a lot of it has to do with the context, and a lot of it has to do with who Jesus is talking to. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on in there. But when we come then to the passage that we just read, our central verse, I have not come, I came not that I might judge the cosmos, but that I might save the cosmos, we now can kind of tease out a little bit more. Is it really condemnation? Well, yes. Is it really evaluation? Well, yes. Is it really discernment? Yes. It's kind of all of those things. What I want you to understand, the thing that I feel like is really critical and important is that fundamental to all of those definitions is the idea of making some sort of decision, some sort of pronouncement, some sort of knowledge about this thing. I know what it is. I can clearly peg it, and therefore I can label it. That's underneath all those definitions, and because I know what it is, now I can evaluate and discern that it is deserving of condemnation or deserving of praise. But underneath all of those definitions is the idea that I'm going to evaluate and then I'm going to make a decision about what this is. And the vast majority of the judgment that happens, uh, it comes from the word crino, which is to evaluate so that you can condemn. Now, we have talked extensively about salvation throughout Sparks' history, so I didn't want to spend the same time talking about save salvation. I just simply wanted to say and remind us that the general idea of salvation, there is not the high spiritualistic idea of going to heaven when you die. The general basic definition of salvation, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, it just means to rescue, which is why that's one of Sparks' core values. It is very much like somebody is in trouble and you jump in the water to save them. It is a rescue effort. So, here we go. John chapter 12. I have not come to do this, but I've come to do that. I have not come to judge, but I've come to save. And instead of seeing just condemnation, I want you to see something much bigger, which is an evaluation, a decision, a critical conclusion that you make about the world. It is also condemnation, but it's much broader than that. I know what this world is. I can put a label on what this world is. I clearly am clear about what this world is. So it's not just condemnation, it's bigger than that. And as we mentioned before, salvation is not just about going to heaven when you die. We've covered this multiple times. It is about a rescue effort. Somebody is in trouble, and you're doing everything you can to save them, to bring them. So if we didn't have images before, we have them now. And this is what I'd love for us to see and understand. And we're going to push it one step further and try to tease this out a little bit further. Because there's a reason why John 12, John 10, other places, Jesus is going to say, listen, I'm not here to make that judgment. Because throughout this text, Jesus is going to run into people who are going to say, make a judgment. Tell us what is. 
And there is an entire theme throughout the gospel accounts of not answering the questions directly. Are you with me? Does, Jesus does not answer these questions directly. It's very frustrating. But rather, when posed with a question, he shows, he points, he illustrates, he behaves in a way that doesn't answer the question, but rather addresses something far more important, far more core, the hopes, the dreams, and the expectations, which is much more to do about salvation, rescue, than it is about judgment. You're going to see this theme pop up over and over and over and over again. Jesus, tell us clearly. Make a judgment. We need to know exactly what it is. Make a judgment. And Jesus says, you don't get it. I'm not here to make that call. I'm here to save. And the work of salvation, the work of rescue, and the work of redemption, and the, that work is sometimes, many times, antithetical to the impulse to judge, to evaluate, to criticize, to critique, to know with certainty what a thing is. Let's take a couple examples here. John chapter 1. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? Just answer the question. I need a location. I got to type it into Google Maps so I can get there. Come and you will see. Just come. You will see. Let our behavior, my walk, your following, answer the question for you. Much more specifically at the pool of Bethesda, uh, there's a conversation that he has there with somebody who is uh, born crippled, tells him, pick up your mat and walk. And again, there is this impulse to nail it down. They, the, the religious leaders are saying, listen, we need to know who this person is. Tell us clearly. They asked him, who is the man telling you, take and walk? And I love this. The man had no idea who it was. For there, being in a crowd in that place, Jesus had withdrawn. You would think if Jesus was starting a revolution, which he did, he would want everybody to know. But the point is, I've not come to declare that to make it plain and make it clear. I've come to save. This was the work. So if you want to know who is it, who is that person, look at me. I'm walking. It's another story. Same gospel account. Man born blind. Famous passage. Tell us, Rabbi, who sinned? Make a judgment. We need you to make a judgment here. Because we need to know the answer. Because we need to know if this person sinned or if his parents sinned so we can figure it out, so we can know. We, we need to know this. Uh, and, of course, he doesn't answer the question. And then they interrogate the man. Because, okay, he's not going to answer our question. Maybe this person will answer our question. I love what he says. You know, whether he is a sinful man, I do not know. One thing I do know, having been blind, I now see. In other words, I've never seen him. I have no idea who he is. Okay, never mind. <laughs> what is this man's knowledge? What is this man's judgment? It's not of the evaluation of sin and condemnation and all of the machinations of how, how that works. This is what I know. I was blind. I now see. You guys make your own judgments. You guys decide for yourself what this is, who this is. 
It's almost as if these religious leaders are getting extremely frustrated. Tell us who you are so that we can condemn you and kill you. We need to know. Then came Hanukkah in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's portico. So the Judeans encircled him and said to him, For how long are you going to keep a grip on our soul? Do you see why I like this translation? How long are you going to grip our soul? Strangle it. If you are the anointed one, tell us forthrightly. I, isn't that, I, okay, I kind of like that translation. I like other translations. Tell us plainly. In other words, for crying out loud, give us a judgment about who you are. We need to know clearly. And this is Jesus' reply, very much consistent with the entire theme of his ministry and his work. I have told you, and you do not have faith, the works that I perform. Notice that. The, oops. The works that I perform in my Father's name, these testify concerning. I have told you, look at how I act and how I behave and what happens as a result of my presence. And you still asking, you're still trying to drive me to give you a very specified answer to who I am, and you need me to answer, by the way, on your terms, not on my terms? Give us a judgment. You do not have faith because you are not among my sheep, which is part of the challenge. Man, there's a whole lesson in that, trying to figure out how you answer questions with people who do or do not even understand you in the first place. A couple months ago, we were, I think, in chapter six-ish, and I shared about semiotics. The whole idea is that there are no miracles in the gospel according to John. There are signs, there are wonders, but there's not miracles. It's not appealing to something supernatural. What it is is saying, here are some works, and those works are pointing to something, and that's the point. Watch what Jesus does. Look at the the after effects of where Jesus was. Pay attention to his teachings. Pay attention to how life change happens. Pay attention to that. And that will point you to an understanding. The signs are the total collection of actions, behaviors and teachings that are together. Together, all of that. That's what points to the truth of the matter. If you have a question about who Jesus is, he's already told you through the works, through the truth of the matter, through how he's behaved. This is what points to Jesus. And if you are still asking the question, are you the Messiah, then you've missed the point. Get it? Point? They point? You've missed the point. You've missed the... Oh, boy. Tough. <laughs> you, the signs are pointing. You're supposed to look to where it's pointing. And that's part of what's going on in this passage. Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Jesus is like rolling his eyes, you know, that face pump. Did you not just see the guy was blind and now he sees? Did you not just see the man was crippled and now he walks? Did you not see the dead person rise and you're still asking me to clarify for you? You see a little bit about what's going on here? Judgment versus salvation. Add to that one whole other layer to this, which is that the problem with these judgments, these decisions, these very clear titles that the religious leaders want Jesus to do is that the problem is that these terms, titles, labels, and definitions are dependent and contingent upon what they think the word Messiah means. They have a definition and an understanding. Tell us, do you fit into that definition and understanding? 
And one of the things, one of the layers, one of the kind of really radical, you know, jujitsu moves that Jesus is doing is I can't answer the question directly anyway because you have a clearly limited understanding of what that term and definition might mean. So pay attention to who I am, what I do, how I behave, and that might answer the question for you. Because there is a difference. There is a difference between identifying as something and living as something. You can have the label of something and not be living that very thing. And there's a clear difference and differentiation between those two things. And I think, I think what's going on is Jesus is saying, I don't play that. I'm not going to play your game. I've given you everything you need to know. Stop trying to nail it down. The entire sermon, actually, could be summed up in this one clip. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. I'm so sorry. I gotta weave Princess Bride into every message I do, apparently. <laughs> I must know. Get used to disappointment. And what's fascinating about that entire, what happens with Inigo Montoya and the man in black is that they do end up knowing by their behavior, by their relationship, by something that continues on. In other words, truth is the judge. So there is judgment. There is an evaluation. But it's truth that makes the judgment. Look at my works. Look at how I behave. But don't try to nail me down. I've not come to judge the world, the cosmos. I've not come to tell you good, bad, sinful, saved, condemned, perfect. I've not come to do that. I'm a savior. I'm a rescuer. I find where there's things that are broken and do everything I can to fix. I find where there's condemnation and do everything I can to heal. I find where there's injustice and I do everything I can to bring it to right. That is what I do. And if you want to call me the Messiah as a result of that, good for you. But I will not play your game. Watch what I do. Listen to how I teach. Look at the effects of my life. Truth is going to be the judge. I'm just a rescuer. That is what I do. Are you with me? Throughout my life, and I'm sure many of your lives, we have all had to wrestle with these kinds, this exact principle. Because there are titles and there are labels and there are judgments that fly all over the place. Tell us plainly who you are. Are you, are you an atheist? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Are you pro-life? Are you pro-choice? Spark Church has gotten a lot of these questions. So are you really affirming? Are you egalitarian? Are you liberal? You must be liberal. What are you clearly liberal? And then they'll see up, but wait a second, you, you do communion and worship. You must be conservative. Are you evangelical? In other words, they're asking us to give them a judgment. And I understand. Let me just put the caveat here. I understand. Labels are helpful, but they're also confining. 
Helping people understand how, what kind of category we are is helpful for people navigating a very complex and chaotic world. I get that. But I remember throughout our years, and I've become even more so in my later years of life here, of resisting all of that. Because every single one of these names, titles, categories are definitions that I just, that's what you think those labels and titles mean. And you're asking me to make a judgment about all of those things and to tell you clearly, yes, I am a liberal. Yes, I am an evangelical. Yes, I am an ex-evangelical. Yes, I am a neo-post-ex-evangelical. <laughs> and part of what I think is so critical through this Jesus movement in this passage and multiple strains is I have not come to judge. I'm just a rescuer. And if you really want to know, okay, I'll tell you plainly. I will tell you plainly. You ready? Here's my answer for all of those questions, whether or not we're egalitarian or affirming or liberal or conservative. Here's my answer. Critique what we have done. Take a look. Get to know our people, which is my favorite answer. I tell them, you need to go meet these people. These people, sparkers, go meet them. They will tell you. Discern our works. We, the refugee work that we've done the rescue work, the rescue team, all of that. Observe how we act and behave around little ones, around old people, around mixed gender groups. Watch that. Learn our criteria. What are the boundaries? What are the values? What are the things that we hold? And listen to how we teach. Because I have a feeling if you do that, they will tell you something really wonderful and profound about who we are, who I am, who you are, it will tell you something, but it may not give you the clarity that you think that you want. Because I don't know if we're actually in the business of giving people the clarity that they want. To clearly make a judgment, we're in the business following Jesus. We're in the rescue business. We're in the reconciliation business. We're in the love business. That's the business that we're in. In other words, the truth is the judge Jesus is a savior, get used to disappointment. We are not in the business of satiating our or others' desire to know and to judge. Little footnote here, I'm not a pastor here anymore, so you have to ask Pastor Danielle if this is true. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm putting it out there for you to consider. We're not in the business of satiating other people's desire to know. I will tell you, this has been hard. There have been moments when people have talked, you need to put this on your website and state very clearly you are and then fill in the blank. And it's been a wrestling point. It's been a challenge for us because we understand why that's helpful. And we understand that that can communicate certain things but that's exactly the problem. The verbiage on the website communicates one thing to this group and it communicates something completely different to another group. What I'd rather have communicate is our actions and our behaviors and our radical welcome and the amazing freaking people that we have in this church who care and who live the way of Jesus every single day of their lives in everything that they do. 
That's what I want to speak and to make judgments about, to make clear delineations, decisions, and discernments about. That's what we're in the business of. We're in the business of rescue, so come and watch and come and see. And I would propose to you, my friends, that as difficult and challenging, I'm sure this poses many questions, that is very close to the way of Jesus. Who, when pressed, tell us if you are the Messiah for crying out loud. It's been nine chapters and you haven't clearly said so. And even when we get to chapter 21, he still doesn't answer the question. So I would propose to you this is very much in line with the way of Jesus where religious people and fundamentalists and opinionated people really want to clearly delineate, judge, discern, and critique it into a simple definition. And what Jesus is saying, just please watch how I save and rescue the world. That's what I'm here for. Okay, that's my message, but there's a cherry on top that I'd like to give you if that's okay. Because as I was pondering and thinking about the chaos of our heat wave, the challenge of the heat wave in China, the floods in Pakistan, the devastating weather events that are intensifying and multiplying, I've been, as many of you know, our church has been on a journey of really trying to navigate what is the way of Jesus in light of climate change, in light of this new era that we find ourselves in, of wildfires, etc. There is one strain of this conversation that pops up for those of you who are involved. There are some people, philosophers and geologists and other, you know, kind of social scientists who are suggesting and have suggested since the year 2000, a new word came into our vocabulary called the Anthropocene or Anthropocene, tomato, tomato. The Anthropocene is used to describe a judgment about the world that we live in. It is to say we have now entered into an era in which humanity is weighing itself heavily upon our planet. Therefore, climate, geology, ecosystems are all now affected by what we do. And so the Anthropocene has been used to describe a critical discernment, evaluation, and judgment of the world in which we live. And as a result of that judgment, there are all sorts of different outplays. There's different responses. There are different ways in which people react and respond to this. And one of those ways in which people have responded, specifically in a technocratic Silicon Valley, hyper-wealthy elite class of humanity, our idea is, well, if that's the world that we have, we're living in, that we have built ourselves, if that's the world, we're out of here. Let's go find my little hut or, better yet, why don't I just leave the planet and go colonize Mars? Because once you make an evaluation or a clear judgment about what this is, well, then you've got very limited decisions to make. Travis Holloway is a philosopher who's written this amazing book, How to Live at the End of the World, a catchy phrase, yeah? Theory, Art, and Politics for the Anthropocene. It's a very short book summing up the problems with this kind of evaluation. I won't give you the whole book, I'll just give you some highlights. Number one, it is the end of the world as we know it. Yeah, we're, we're in trouble. But here's what he, it's an amazing twist. But what is that world? 
What is the world that is coming to an end? This is the world. The world is a world of colonization, colonialism, extractionism, mechanism, hierarchy, oppression, and worldlessness. The reason why we're in the position that we're in is not because we are humans, because we have particular values about how this world is supposed to work and how we're supposed to work. And part of the reason why we're in the position that we're in is not because of humans, but because of certain humans with certain values and behaviors in this world, of particular ways of being that have devastated other humans on this planet. So it's not right to necessarily call this the Anthropocene. They're looking for other terms. It's not humans, it's certain humans. And you have to read the book to figure out who those humans are. That's what's coming to an end. We recognize that we cannot colonize everything in the world. Not everything we can just extract its value and just leave it to waste. Some are still going to hold on to this old world, sheer individualism, and this is going to end up in apocalypticism, that thing that we mentioned before, in cosmic colonization. You know, let's go to Mars. Let's, you know, begin putting our species on other planets. But here's his conclusion at the end. This is so critical and so tied to what we just talked about. But we can actually imagine a different world, a world that can actually be saved. You don't have to settle for the title Anthropocene. You don't have to settle for the idea, okay, colonization and destruction and extractionism is just going to be the way it is. You don't have to settle for that. You can actually imagine a different world, and you can actually be in the business of saving it. And if we start to turn our attentions not towards an evaluation and a judgment and critique of how we're screwed, but start turning your attention towards all the ways where you can rescue the world, well, that is a different way of being human. He writes, how might we inherit the term Anthropocene? or whatever one chooses to call it, how might this story collectivize us at a time when any idea of a collective, including humankind, is seen as a threat? How should, we do, how should we write the reinvention of epic? How might this epic introduce a new sense of history? One that, and I love this phrase, excavates the shadow archives of human history destroys the axioms of individualism and human exceptionalism and situates our species in a web of life. How can we think through who we are, how we have been differently in this world? Finally, can all of this assist us in a new eco-egalitarian project? Like the idea that we can, there's equality of value and worth and connection between all of life on earth in a way that may have been unthinkable before. The Anthropocene seems, at least to offer a new sense of history, a new sense of history that reinforces a completely old idea that we still exist in a world and that change is entirely possible. We don't have to settle for the judgment. We don't have to settle for the condemnation. We don't have to settle for the critique that it's all going to hell and we might as well just get ours while we can. We still live in this world. And we don't have to call it the Anthropocene. We can create something new. We can truly save it. Or according to Jesus, I did not come that I might judge the cosmos, 
but that I might save it. And this, my friends, is how I answer the question, so who are you? I don't know, but I'm kind of into this. So watch what I do. Pay attention to how I talk, how I live, the decisions that I make. I don't know if that's liberal. I don't know if that's conservative. I don't know if that's Democratic or Republican. I don't know if that's pro-life or pro-choice. I don't know. You want to make a judgment? Make a judgment. But I'm going to live this way. And you can watch and you can pay attention. And, and you can join me. We can do this together. And maybe all of those clear, critical, discerning judgments that we place on each other, maybe those become irrelevant because we're so busy in the work of rescue. Life is the opposite of death. Spirit is the opposite of flesh. What's the opposite of judgment? Salvation. Rescue. I did not come into the world to condemn and judge it. I'm here to save. Okay, who needs saving? Who needs rescue? Because that's why we're here. And every week when we come to the table, I don't know if you've paid attention to this, there's no judgment. We don't go, did you follow Jesus closely enough before you get to this table? How much did you sin before you get to, you know, what what kind of uh, doctrinal creed do you adhere to? No, we say every single week, everyone's welcome to this table. Why? Because we don't judge. We're here to save. Because that table, this table represents the entirety of Jesus' life and mission to save. So when you come to this table, when you partake of its elements, you are participating, agreeing to, celebrating, involving yourself in that very same rescue. So it's a tradition and a liturgy in our service where every single one of you can become reminded once again This Jesus has come to rescue me, not to condemn. And because I've now ingested that life into me, I've now become empowered, inspired, encouraged to now go into the same, go into this world in the same way, to rescue and not to condemn. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. My friends, as we sing, all are welcome.